This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Media Conference, and now in its 27th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. There's an all-new version of one of the most popular SUVs in the country. We were among a handful of journalists to see it, sit in it, smell it, and we'll tell you all about it coming up. And while many automakers are touting an all-electric future, an executive from a major global automaker is saying, hey, not so fast. There's some problems that have to be dealt with first. He's not saying it's impossible, but is pointing out some problems, so we'll tell you more about that later in the show. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at DrivingToday.com slash autoinsurance. That's DrivingToday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. Hi, I'm Jack Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. Each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, and how we can maybe get the most out of our cars. Chris, uh, how are things going there in the Teague household? Things are crazy as usual, but uh, you know, getting to the weather as we normally do during this part of the show, it's really funny. We had some 70-degree days earlier this week and then uh, overnight switched to a 40-degree day, which uh, wreaked havoc with an electric vehicle that I have, which is really funny, but it's also made me very grumpy. So <laughs> the change in weather is, is funny this time of year. Yeah. Yeah. It can get you down. And we had time change and all that stuff that throws everybody off. I want to let people know that Dance in the Dark, my uh, new book, is now available as a paperback and a Kindle edition on Amazon. So uh, you might want to look for that. Uh, tell us about the test vehicle, though, that you had this week. I spent the week with the Genesis Electrified G80, which is their, uh, which is a large electric sedan. It's got a lot to talk about, so I can't wait to tell you all about it. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about it, I talk with you about it. I drove it at the North American car that you're testing, and so I have some opinions, too. I'll be road testing the 2023 Ford Mustang EcoBoost Premium. I had a chance to drive it on some very challenging roads here in Southern California, and I'll have a full report on that. We also have a great interview for you. Brian Hallgren is, the, is a Stellantis powertrain engineer. He and I will discuss the all-new Hurricane Twin Turbo I6 engine that powers the new Wagoneer L and Grand Wagoneer L. Two variants, actually. A new engine like this doesn't come along every day, so uh, we'll get inside it and talk about it. Pretty cool stuff. But before we do anything else, we'll be bringing you some of the most important auto information from around the world. So stay with us with Chris Teague. This is Jack Red with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague. Jack Rad back with you. Chris is a little grumpy, but we're going to try to cheer him up on the show. And uh, we have some interesting news to talk about here. An all-new vehicle from a major manufacturer, a really popular vehicle, and uh, we kind of teased you with that, but it is the Honda Pilot uh, that's being introduced. And uh, Chris, I think that's going to be a, a pretty interesting vehicle. Uh, I had a chance to get in it, see it, smell it. It couldn't drive it, but uh, they gave us an early look. And I think uh, it's going to be a winner out there. 
I think it is. And you can look at the styling and see how they started this with the Honda Civic with more upright grills and more muscular sort of looks. I really like the way they've changed the pilot. I thought it was a little frumpy or a little minivan-esque uh, before. And uh, I can't wait to try the new Trail Sport trim. So I think they've done a great job, at least with styling on this new model. Yeah, I'm excited about the whole thing. It's a new platform and uh, m- much less minivan these days. They walked away from the minivan platform that the old pilot was was on. And I think that's a, a major uh advantage just right off the top and then as you say the trail sport is very very cool not exactly a jeep competitor but i think uh it's going to be uh, pretty neat it's got off-road tuned suspension all-terrain tires skid plates you know kind of the the good stuff uh, all-wheel drive system it doesn't have a two-speed transfer case though I think overall they've done a really nice job styling the new pilot, and we'll have pictures on drivingtoday.com showing it. Very very cool stuff. It has a new, all new, they claim, Honda says, uh, 3.5 liter V6 engine. Of course, it had a previous pilot had a 3.5 liter V6 engine too. Uh, This one produces 285 horsepower. And one of the coolest things I think is uh, the second row. You can get it with a uh, removable center seat. So you have a pass through to the third row, which is belted for three, or you can uh, remove this seat and, uh, or put the seat in actually. The seat stores under the rear cargo floor very neatly. And then you can um, put it between the two, essentially kind of like captain's chairs or bucket seats there. And off you go, you've got three across seating. And I think that kind of flexibility, I mean, you've got kids, that you have in the back seat all the time. I mean, you've got to like that idea. Yeah, it's one of the big reasons why people buy minivans is because they offer more flexible seating options. You know, the stow-and-go seats, you can take them out, you can move them around, and Honda really did. So they moved away from the minivan uh, look with styling, but then they kind of added this extra functionality, which I think is going to be a huge benefit for a lot of buyers. So uh, for me, that would be a big selling point. Yeah, overall, it's got class-leading overall passenger space, which is nice. It's always had, The Pilot has always been one of the most accommodating of the, the mid-size SUVs, the crossover SUVs. And it has good stuff, too, like a digital instrument display in the top model, uh, nine-inch touchscreen you can get in some of the top models. Uh, certainly, Honda has improved its, uh, its infotainment system that has had some issues in the past. It also has hill descent control and torque vectoring all-wheel drive on the, on the functional side. So, you know, uh, and when you go to the trail, when you get the uh, trail sport, it has trail torque logic in the torque vectoring system, which is a very complicated system that enables it to uh, do a lot of things that you need on the trail, uh, torque multiplication and torque to the right wheel and not spinning wheels that are not in contact with the ground. It also has a camera system to help you when you're like going over a hill or something like that. And gee, what's what's, (laughs) what's over the crest here? I'd sure like to know. Uh, So I'm pretty excited about what's going to happen with this longer wheelbase, wider track. I mean, you've seen it. You you know the uh, specs on it. Uh, what's your take? You know, I think we could debate whether people would actually use those off-road features or not. But I think Honda's done enough here uh, to create, I'm not going to say the illusion, because it actually may have some capability to create the image of capability, which is what a lot of people really want. And the all-wheel drive system, the torque vectoring all-wheel drive system is excellent in the Honda Passport. Uh, I can see it being excellent in the Pilot as well. And it's not just good for trails, Jack. It's great in the snow. I got the Passport out last year in the snow, and the, the all-wheel drive system really helps. So you don't have to be an off-roader to, to get some use out of these features. Yeah, absolutely true. And oddly enough, we've had some snow here in Southern California in the mountains uh, this past week. So 
a lot of people are getting the chance to use all-wheel drive systems and, and do stuff you wouldn't normally expect that to happen. A lot of space inside, 113.67 cubic feet behind the first row. That's an immense amount. I mean, that, that number probably doesn't mean a whole lot to a lot of people, but that's an immense amount of space. And 22, uh, more than 22 cubic feet behind the third row in two levels. Uh, that might take into account that area where you uh, store the that uh, middle seat in some some of these vehicles. Uh, not all of them have it. You can get this vehicle as a seven passenger or an eight passenger. Uh, and eight passengers, you know, they're not all that prevalent in the midsize range. So I think that's a big advantage too. Don't you think so, Chris? It is. I personally like captain's chairs because it keeps the kids separated in the middle. But if you need that extra seat, the bench is really handy. Right. And I'm uh, excited to drive the trail sport. Um, you know, this torque factoring for the trail should be pretty interesting. And uh, we'll just have to see how that unfolds. But it's going to be coming out very soon. Have a look at it and uh, check it out and uh, go from there because I think it's a much better looking vehicle as well with a great interior. Well, here is another thing we, we kind of teased earlier. And that is um, a auto industry exec saying, hey, you know, maybe calm down a little bit on, on EVs. And this is a guy who should know because he uh, is the um, chief of advanced product development for Ford on EVs. <laughs> His name is Paul, uh, is Doug Field, rather. And he is certainly gung-ho about EVs, but at the same time, and this was at a conference recently, he said that infrastructure is the big thing that is a, a detriment to widespread adoption. And uh, it strikes me that Chris Teague has been saying that <laughs> for a long time about what he's <laughs> dealing with in Maine and me for another reason here in, in Southern California. I mean, I think there's issues and they're not just issues about the hardware, about electric vehicles. I think uh, they're getting sorted out. I think maybe it's the infrastructure that's a much bigger problem. What do you think? Yeah. And, you know, I complain about it here in Maine all the time with the lack of chargers. But think about the Midwest. So if you live in like Wyoming or Iowa or even parts of Missouri and Arkansas, you can drive for hundreds of miles and never see an EV charger, at least on certain highways. So there's a long way to go before someone can buy an EV and drive it on a road trip or take it outside of their home area and feel comfortable doing so uh, that they're going to have charging and support when they need it. So uh, I agree with them 100 percent on this. And you, I've been beating this drum for, as you said, for a few years now. So it's uh not surprising, I guess. Yeah, here's another thing that we have talked about and uh, he, he's weighing in on. Ford has this uh, vision for vehicles that do things that your phone can't do, which I guess is a good thing. <laughs> but he's talking about immersive augmented reality experiences or virtual reality experiences like we talked about last week. He says this will give Ford the opportunity to create an experience that will blow people away and make them feel like they're in a science fiction movie. What's your take on that? I have no problem with them doing it as long as they're not doing it while they're driving down the road unless there's some major advancement in vehicle autonomous uh, driving technology in the next few years here. Uh, I, we've said this before. I, I can understand if you're sitting at a charging station and you need something to do with your time, with your brain, with your hands, whatever. Uh, but I just see that this is it's ripe for abuse. There are a lot of people that are going to figure out how to, to do things with this that shouldn't be done. Uh, and I guess we'll just have to wait for the YouTube videos. But uh, I don't see right. it. I don't see it being something I'm ready to embrace. I'm not sure I want to be in a science fiction movie. In fact, I don't particularly like science fiction movies. So, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy to just drive the car and experience it that way. But uh, 
I am an old guy. I, I get that. Quick quick news note, too. Uh, a lot of car companies, I am not sure whether they're taking it out on Elon Musk or they have legitimate reasons, but they have paused their advertising on Twitter now that Musk has taken over Twitter. How do you feel about that? Well, I will say I don't really have an opinion on him buying Twitter. He has the money or whatever. He can do that. That's that's his choice. Uh, but for an advertiser, I mean, look at what just happened. So most of the, the, the company's trust and safety or moderation team, whatever you want to call it, was laid off. So if you're General Motors or some of these automakers that don't, that are stopping advertising, you have no idea what the platform is going to look like. So do you want to advertise next to potentially destructive, extremely violent language, or do you want to wait and see if things kind of shake out and and become more stable? So I'm not surprised to see it. Uh, but again, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the next few months with this thing? Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see. I'm, I'm not certain it's going to blow up with uh, violent language, but uh, we'll see, uh, you know. Free speech should be free, is the way I look at it. But again, I'm a Luddite. So when we come back, we will be reviewing some vehicles. Some pretty cool stuff, actually. An all-new electric vehicle uh, you might not have heard of, but is very, very cool. And the Ford Mustang also uh, will be reviewed in the next segment. So stay with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jackie Red, back with you. And it is road test time. I'm excited for road test time because Chris is driving a vehicle I drove recently, and I want to talk with him about it. We haven't discussed it, but uh, it's pretty cool, isn't it, Chris? I agree. It is very cool. It was the uh, 2023 Genesis G80 or electrified G80. So this is a little different than the standard G80 that they make. And it's not quite their flagship because they do sell a G90 sedan, which is top of the line, so to speak. Uh, the vehicle starts at around $81,000. My car as tested was 84000 just a little bit more than 84 k uh, It comes in a single trim. It's called Prestige. You can add a few options, but by and large, it's a single model, single powertrain choice. You know, you kind of have uh, streamlined options there. I think it's for the better, Jack. I'm going to get your opinion on this too. I think Genesis has followed Hyundai's lead into the luxury segment. They equip their vehicles well out of the box, so you don't have to add a bunch of options. And I think that's especially true with the G80. So what do you think about the packaging and the value, I guess, of the G80 electrified? I think it's a, a screaming value in in the uh, EV market. I I drove that, and I drove the Mercedes uh, EQE at the same time. Well, not at the same time, because you can't do that. You've got to, you're going to be in one driver's seat or another, but uh, during the same period of time. And uh, I was really impressed with what Genesis provides in this vehicle. I Just the interior packaging, it's really luxury. I mean, it's not just kind of luxurious. It's, it's really kind of very, very plush. And the way it drives uh, seemed perfect to me. I mean, there were no no problems whatsoever, really. I agree. So you've got two electric motors on board. They make 365 combined horsepower. And this is a full-size sedan jack, and it does 0 to 60 in just over four seconds with zero noise, zero drama. Uh, people at stoplights are just absolutely amazed that this gigantic car is just able to take off in such a, with such a kick, and nobody believes it's electric until you actually get up and look at it because no, you know it's a new model. People aren't used to seeing it, uh, and I've remarked in the past about how people stop and take pictures of Genesis vehicles. I think the G80 is just as striking visually as the GV80 and some of the other vehicles uh, that they make. So great styling on the outside. It has rear wheel steering as standard. So even though this is a full size car, the wheels when you're traveling slow speed they turn opposite to the front wheels so that it tightens the turn. Uh, radius and at higher speed they turn with the the front wheels which uh, which increase stability on the highway and things uh, the result is that the car feels a lot smaller and more agile than you would expect uh, you have room for five people but at the same time it goes around corners uh, surprisingly quick uh, part of that's due to the fact that the battery packs are located low in the floor 
and there's no gas engine. So the weight distribution is, is low. So it holds the car to the road. Um, quiet, refined and smooth. 282 miles of range, Jack. I observed every bit of that, even though it was a little chilly. I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, we dropped down into the 30s overnight. It, it slowed charging to a crawl, uh, but it didn't impact range at all, which I'm sure would happen if we got a little colder. Uh, but no complaints on the range and the powertrain operation. You know, we complain about infrastructure everything else but if i were buying an ev luxury car the g80 would probably be top on the list um so you mentioned the interior uh they make a few different colors mine had a really nice blonde leather heated and cooled seats uh heated steering wheel it's got a 14.5 inch touchscreen apple carplay android auto um and the really cool thing here i want to get your opinion on this too so the gauge cluster is digital but it's got a 3d effect to it which you can turn off if you're if you get nauseated by things like that but it's a really cool effect that not uh, many other manufacturers do. So what do you think of the Genesis G80 tech and the way it's implemented in this car? Well, I like the fact that you can make decisions about it, right? You can configure things and you can have them, uh, you know, kind of as far out as you want or not as far out as you want. And I, th I think that's just fine. I'm not nauseated by that. I live in 3D kind of every day. So I'm, I'm used to that. Uh, I don't bump into stuff all that often. Uh, occasionally I do. But uh, I think overall, I mean, I was... In, in a lot of ways, blown away by this car. There's There are very few cars out there that just, I go, wow, this is a lot more than I expected. But this Genesis G80 Electrified, it's, it's really kind of wowed me in so many different ways. So I think maybe the biggest downside here for me was with headroom, especially in the back seat with kids. So Because you're six based feet on tall, the regular right? <laughs> yeah, I was going to try to skate around that this time. but okay. uh, So it's built on the same platform as the regular G80, so the gas-powered G80. And to accommodate the battery packs under the floor, they had to squeeze a little bit of headroom out to get the batteries under there. And the result is that the rear seat is lacking a little bit. So if you have kids in full-size rear-facing car seats or you know taller booster seats, or even if you're just six feet tall like myself, uh, the back seat does feel a little cramped. That said, the seats themselves are superior. They are extremely comfortable. You've got, I think, heated and cooled back seats in this in this car, the option, uh, and a nice center console that folds down. So your kids or whomever's in the back seat is going to be really uh, poshly uh, accommodated, even if they do have a little bit uh, shortened headroom. But Jacket 84K, I mean, it's expensive, but I think with a lot of vehicles, you pay more for the powertrain and don't get more of everything else. Uh, but I think with this electric vehicle, you get a little bit more of everything, and they've done a great job of packaging. So uh, I highly recommend it if you're in the in the in the market for a luxury electric vehicle. Yeah, I think it's an amazing value, and uh, yeah, I mean that's one of the things Genesis does, right? I mean they know that they're competing with luxury brands that have a lot more uh, heritage to them, a lot more history. Uh, they have to provide extra value, and I think they're doing that. And and uh, like I say, this is one one vehicle that I was just um, kind of amazed by at how good it is. So very, very cool. I agree. Well, I was driving a version of the Ford Mustang that I hadn't driven in a while, the EcoBoost, which is powered by a uh, turbocharged engine, which is very cool. And the thing I like about this is how well balanced this version of the Mustang is. Like the Mustang needs no introduction. I don't have to tell you about Mustang. And really, it's uh, remained true to its origins, even though <laughs> we're certainly in a different era than we were in 1965 or 64 when it was introduced. I can tell you that. This is still a front-engine, rear-drive, two-door that emphasizes style, way over practicality, uh, not exactly of the of the moment, right? But at the same time, it's the, the lone surviving car within Ford Motor Company right now. This is the company that actually 
kind of made cars popular, right? The Model T put us all on wheels, put us all in cars. Now Ford is only making one car, and it's the Mustang. So I found I find that interesting. And it's this vehicle. And here is a vehicle with a starting price of less than $30,000 that is a blast to drive, very well balanced. And uh, I just think it's one of those kind of sleeper values out there. I mean, what's your take on this particular version of the Mustang? I agree. You know, it is a sleeper. The four-cylinder engine is turbocharged. still has plenty of power and torque jack. It still comes with a manual transmission if you want it. And we've talked about this with lower trims of like the Challenger and the Charger. So if you don't go all the way to the, the top Hellcat model, you get a car that you can focus on managing the car and driving the car as opposed to not overdoing the gas pedal and flying out the, or, you know, tossing out the rear end. So I think for a lot of reasons, it's, it may be a better driver's car overall than like the Mustang GT. Yeah, I think in, in a lot of ways it is, or a lot of ways you can you can have plenty of fun with this in any case. I mean, 310 horsepower from the 2.3 liter turbocharged engine, that's a lot of horsepower. I mean, there, there were performance versions of this car that had less than 300 horsepower in uh, years past. So that is very cool. You can get a high performance package with the EcoBoost engine with 330 horsepower, so an additional 20 horsepower. It doesn't actually add torque. And then if you get this, the premium package, uh, which is the test car that I had, you get uh, quite a bit of luxury equipment too, leather upholstery, heated and cooled front seats, dual zone climate control, uh, kind of cool ambient lighting. Uh, you get a premium audio system, satellite radio, eight inch touchscreen with Sync 3. I mean, a lot of good stuff uh, for not a ton of money. I mean, we're talking around, you know, low 30s in terms of, of price these days. And <laughs> given, <laughs> given the prices of vehicles out there now, I mean, and uh, particularly the, uh, the prices of electrics that we're looking at. I mean, that's a screaming deal. I just think that uh, there's a, a lot to like about this vehicle from, from so many points of view. Is this a vehicle that you would consider? I mean, you're a different generation than I am on this. Uh, is this something that you find cool too? I do find it cool. I think it's cool that, you know, first of all, you can draw the performance out of a smaller engine like that. Uh, plus, let's be honest, with 320, 330 horsepower, you're not going to need much more than that. My Golf GTI has 241 horsepower, and it's more than quick enough to get me in trouble in traffic. Uh, plus, the, the Mustang chassis is great. It's a tossable car. It's lively. It handles well. And as I said, I think the, the slow car fast sort of mentality with this car, even though it's not slow, yeah. uh, the slower car fast, let's just say that, may be a better enthusiast prospect. I think that's probably going to be my opinion on it. Yeah. Uh, pretty good fuel economy too. 21 miles per gallon in, in the city, 32 on the highway. That's not bad at all. The fact that you can get a manual transmission is fun. The uh, test car I had had the manual transmission. Some people might opt for the automatic. That's cool. But I, I really liked having the six-speed manual. And it all comes back to you. Although I've been driving a lot of manual transmission cars over the last... Uh, several weeks, and uh, kind of surprisingly, talk about a throwback. I mean, we're talking about a, a two-door coupe rear drive with a, a six-speed manual transmission. I mean, that's not exactly of the day, is it? No, and you know, now that we're talking about this, it just came to me. I think that this could be a great platform for younger drivers too. Like, you spend your thirty grand and you a little bit of work, and you have a nice drift car. You have you know a nice uh, road cross road course car. So uh, the value here is another another big thing which you talked about. But I agree, man. This is such a great great prospect and great price. Yeah. It has Sync 3, which is uh, quite good. It has an 8-inch capacitive touchscreen, 9-speaker audio, Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, all that stuff. Uh, plenty of USB ports of both types, I think, uh, across the, the thing. So, uh, And uh, a good amount of safety. Ford Copilot technology, and it gets a uh, 
a good rating in four of five crashworthiness categories from the IIHS, from the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. So I think, and five star safety ratings from uh, NHTSA, from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. So it's a safe car, pretty good fuel economy, a blast to drive, doesn't cost a whole lot of money. Geez, what's not to like? I'll give it my stamp of approval. Yeah, absolutely. So Ford Mustang EcoBoost Premium, uh, kind of four stars. I mean, certainly four or five stars for the uh, the Genesis G80 Electrified, another five star or at least four star car. I think it's five stars because it really blew me away. So big, big time, good, good vehicles that we're talking about in this segment, I think. I agree on all accounts. Very good. And when we come back, we will have a great interview for you. Brian Hallgren is the Stellantis powertrain engineer, partly responsible for the all-new Hurricane twin-turbo inline-six engine. I like that inline-six cylinder that takes me back to the 1960s. Uh, That's in the new Grand, uh, Grand Wagoneer L and the Wagoneer L. So we'll be talking with him about that. So stay with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Red back with you. And uh, we have a terrific guest for you talking about something very, very interesting. An all-new internal combustion engine, which I think is very important, in uh, a vehicle that is very new and has a new variant that we're driving today in Montana. Uh, our guest is Brian Hallgren. He is the head of propulsion systems for North American Technical Centers for Stellantis. Thanks so much for being with us. We Thanks for having it. me, Jack. And uh, this new engine, or, uh, I guess a family of engines, there's two it new is. engines, mm-hmm. uh, in Wagoneer L and uh, Grand Wagoneer. Tell us about them. Yeah, our Hurricane engines. As you pointed out, there's two variants. We have the Hurricane Twin Turbo at 420 horsepower and our Hurricane 510, which is 510 horsepower. Also a twin turbo, right? Also a twin turbo. Both right. of them are. Yep. Right. And this is a smaller displacement engine than the V8 that uh, it kind of replaces in some ways, or supplements, right? Uh, you, you know, Describe, is it a supplement or is it a replacement? It's a supplement. So as you said, it's an inline six engine, three liters of displacement. But the key here is we have improved the fuel efficiency dramatically. We've reduced the emissions of the engine, but we maintain the power and torque that the customer wants. And in some cases, this engine actually exceeds the power and torque that we have currently in our V8s that are used in the Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer. Right. Really, uh, an internal combustion engine takes air and, and fuel and turns it into power, right? I mean, that's the, and they throw spark in there because it's got to burn, right? Sure. So th- that's the, uh, the basis. And uh, with twin turbos, you're actually blowing more air into a smaller space, I think, in, in a lot of ways. That's uh, you know, the layman's way to look at uh, what turbocharging is all about. Describe that to us a little bit. Yeah, sure. As you pointed out, it is about all getting the air in the engine and using it as efficiently as possible. And that's what this engine does, right? With its twin turbo, we have a turbocharger for each of the three cylinders, right? It provides the airflow into the combustion system. We've designed the combustion system to really provide the best efficiency that we can, but also the power and torque that's required to make this a, a class-leading engine. Yeah. And as you probably know, recently, the 510 just was awarded the award's 10 best engine. Yeah, really, really cool. And I, 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 I love the fact, I, I guess I'm an old school guy, I like an inline six engine, that's, that's kind of cool. I mean, certainly there's a lot of history uh, with your company with uh, sure, inline sure. sixes, so right? Yep. Yep. No, and, and the inline six also provides inherently a balanced configuration. So there's a level of refinement and smoothness as well. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. Twin turbo. These are 
Uh, turbos that spool up real quick, Descri describe to our audience what that's all about and why that's important. Yeah, sure. We use two turbos on this engine, and part of that is we can reduce the inertia of each of the turbos by using two of them rather than one single one. And that really helps as you step into the throttle at low RPM. It really helps the turbos come up quickly and provide boost. Additionally, we have a charge air cooler that's liquid that's mounted on the engine, and we've really worked hard from a packaging standpoint to limit the amount of uh, volume between the compressor outlet to the in intake valves. And this really provides us with a very quick response of boost level to the engine that the driver feels. You know, I think a lot of our listeners probably are not really up to speed on what a turbocharger does and how it differs, say, from a supercharger. Can you give them a short course in that? Sure. From a turbocharger standpoint, we extract energy from the exhaust gases that then are drive through a shaft, a compressor. That compressor then compresses the incoming intake air, the fresh air, if you will, and raises the overall pressure in the intake manifold, thus providing more air into the engine. A supercharger has a mechanical link. So again, it has a compressor but has a mechanical link that's driven off usually the crankshaft of the engine. Yeah, so a turbocharger needs the exhaust gases to be created before it can start spinning and then comp compress the air. Correct. So the, the quicker you can get that to spin, and so smaller turbos, I guess, can spool up quicker, then you get more power quicker, which leads to um, a minimum of turbo lag that, <laughs> that we all complain about uh, when you dip into the throttle and nothing happens for a second because you have to get the exhaust gases going, right? Absolutely. Absolutely correct. Yep. Yeah. What is most exciting to you about uh, this family of engines? I think what's exciting is we're really pushing the envelope. As I mentioned before, not only do we provide the torque and power that you'd expect out of V8, but the efficiency of the engine is, is, is extremely high, right? And we're at the same time lowering the emissions as well. Right. So it's a, it's a great challenge for engineers to work on, and I think we knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Well, you're using fuel injection and I think fairly high pressure fuel injection. That's correct. Describe to uh, us, describe to me, uh, <laughs> why that is important and, and how that Sure. The fuel injection system on this Hurricane engine is capable of 350 bar of pressure. And it's really about making sure that we have a mixture preparation process that, that finally atomizes the fuel droplets, mixes it well with the air, and that only, not only creates an efficient combustion event, but also helps to reduce emissions as well. Yeah. So if you're doing that right, if you're squirting, you know, squirting is probably not the technical term, but if you're putting the right amount of fuel and atomizing it, making it, you know, go into the atmosphere so it can burn uh, more efficiently, that's the, the holy grail, right? That's the key. Yeah. And it results in better efficiency. That's a certainly important thing. You know, this is a vehicle that's going to tow fairly frequently, I would think. I think a lot of the buyers of the Wagoneer L in particular, Grand Wagoneer, will tow. Uh, describe what your thinking is or what, if there were special preparations for that in the engine. Sure. So as I mentioned before, right, the power and torque is actually higher than what's available in our V8 offering in the Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer. And from a durability standpoint, you know, we test our engines under the most extreme conditions as well, right? We've designed an, a lubrication system for oil handling that really takes this engine to the extreme, right? We have the ability to draw oil into the oil pump from the front of the engine and the rear that really makes sure that we have an oil supply under the most robust and uh, most aggressive driving maneuvers that you can imagine. Yeah, because you could actually, I mean, if you were very aggressive, you could get to a place where it, the engine was not sucking the oil. By, Correct. Uh, to 
use a non-technical term again. Sure. Um, what do you think is the most valuable thing you learned as you were putting this project together? Uh, what, what were, uh, there have to be some learnings because you're pushing the envelope here. You know, what did you learn that you really think, wow, th this is something that I didn't know before? Yeah, we, we leveraged uh, obviously a tremendous amount of uh, CE tools, simulation tools to design this engine. And I think through that, you know, we, we developed new capability in-house that can pay off in future development activities. And, and we really have, I think, a deeper understanding of, of the, the engine processes and what's required to really have a high specific output engine that we've made here on our Hurricane Twin Turbo. It strikes me when I see a lot of turbocharged engines these days, they have a nice, broad, flat torque curve. And it seems like having turbocharging enables that. Mm -hmm. Am I right? And, and describe to me why. Yeah, so the, the flat torque curve is really enabled, again, by the turbocharging system, right? It's all about turbo matching. And if we can provide boost at relatively low RPM, right, we have the airflow to make, make the power make the torque. Right? And that's really what you see on, on these boosted engine architectures is the ability to allow for additional low-speed torque. Mm -hmm. And tell us about, uh, about more about the drivetrain. I mean, this is a, a vehicle that mo in most instances is going to be all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive. Describe that to us. Correct. So uh, the engine is, is behind an eight-speed transmission, right? And with that, we have four-by-four and all-wheel drive capability as well, right? Uh, transfer case to allow for uh, off-road capability as well. So um, in the Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer obviously uh, provides that off-road experience, and we have a, a drive line that, uh, that is equipped to, to handle that. Mm -hmm. Going forward, I know you can't describe to me uh, forward product, um, but the, you've had some success with hybridization of uh, some of the other vehicles and some of the other powertrains. And in fact, uh, the most popular best-selling plug-in hybrid, for example, mm -hmm. uh, out there uh, comes from your company. Provisions for that going forward with this engine family? We don't generally comment on future plans, but I'll say that this engine was obviously uh, designed and developed being mindful of that. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, there was some discussion in, in the press briefing today about the, the division of maybe 50% uh, battery electric vehicles by 2030, with the other 50% obviously internal combustion engines. How do those play together? Uh, it, it's obvious, I guess it's obvious, maybe it's not obvious at all. Different kind of development, I think, for those different kinds of powertrains, I would think. Describe that process for me. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. You're referring to our DARE 2030 program that mm -hmm. was revealed earlier this year. And uh, for the U.S. specifically, it's a 50% BEV sales mix by 2030, obviously leaving the other 50 with some form of internal combustion engine and hybridization that goes along with it. Yeah. Um, it's a very exciting time, right? There's a diverse uh, set of propulsion uh, products out there, right, that, that we have to design and develop to, to be uh, successful in that endeavor. Yeah. And I think it's particularly interesting with your brands, or your brand, I, you know, this guy is kind of Jeep brand, uh, because it's, it's so well known as a particular thing, right? As opposed sure. to some other brands that are a little more nebulous. I mean, people know what a Jeep is. They have in their head what a Jeep is. They've seen it since 1941, those of who's been around since 1941. Happily, not even I have been around <laughs> since 1941. But... Um, that's, that's got to be in your mind, too. Like, 
all of these products have to be true to that brand, correct? Sure. I, I, I'm a propulsion systems person, right? But it's very exciting to, uh, to work with the brands to, to, to capitalize on their vision that they have, right, for the products. So yeah, yeah. Uh, ha very much happy to be part of the Wagoneer program here mm. and uh, looking forward to working with other brands as well. How are we going to see this engine in other applications? Would we see it in, say, Ram truck? I, uh, I can't comment on other applications at this point. Yeah, could you tap once? <laughs> what have I not asked you that you think the consumer should know about this powertrain? I, I think we hit all the, the key marks, you know, and we talked about uh, the, the power, the torque that uh, rivals and bests our V8. We talked about the efficiency. I don't know that efficiency. we hit fuel efficiency maybe hard enough because that's important, right? Absolutely. And, and when you hear of a three mile per gallon increase or a two mile per gallon increase, Maybe it doesn't ring as like that's a big deal to folks, but it really is a big it's deal. A very it's big a deal. major, it's a very major big deal. deal. So describe to me why that's a big deal. Well, it's a big deal. As, as we've talked about for the last few minutes here, I mean, our Hurricane Twin Turbo engine, the whole intent of designing that was maintaining the power and torque, but getting that efficiency level much higher. We talked about a lot of elements, the twin turbo. Um, we didn't touch upon the low pressure cool EGR system that we're using uh, to really eke out the efficiency of this engine. But there's there's so much technology we've put on here. Uh, spray bore uh, liners as well helps with reducing friction in the engine. You know, there's so much technology we've put at this to, to get the efficiency where it needs to be. Yeah. And this is a fairly highly stressed engine. So you were really concerned about durability. And yeah. it struck me that you did all the right things, you know, forged crank, yeah. uh, all of that, you know, forged uh, rods. Uh, mm -hmm. Closed deck on that. Yep. There, all, all sorts of things. And, and you saw, obviously, we showed the tilt test in terms of the aggressiveness we go through. 166 horsepower per liter, right? A very impressive number, right, from an output standpoint yeah. of this engine. It's like racing, <laughs> racing car numbers from when I got in this industry, yeah. I'll tell you. Uh, terrific stuff. Well, Brian Hallgren, thanks so much for sharing all of this about uh, the uh, this line of engines in the, the Wagoneer. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jack. Appreciate it. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack Nerad back with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. We do appreciate it. If you like the show, please pass it along to somebody else. Uh, this is listener question time. And Chris, I think you're going to ask me the listener question, and we'll see how I do. <laughs> I am going to ask you. This one comes from Clement in Pensacola, Florida. Clement says that he's been car shopping lately and looking and seeing a lot of 2023 models, but it seems like a lot of them aren't out yet or they're coming later on. Uh, what's going on with that and what, what could be causing it? Well, I think you and I both experienced when we were trying to write about 2023 20, models and we're not even finding information on manufacturer websites about them that a lot of the 2023s are not available yet. A lot of it, it just has to do with supply. I mean, the car companies are concentrating on vehicles that can make them the most money and at the same time that they have parts and they can build them and, and get them out into the marketplace. And for some vehicles, that's just not available. And so they're kind of grouping up, well, we can, we can make these, but we can't make those yet. And because they can't even make them or make them in enough numbers, they haven't priced them. That's one of the last things a car company does before a vehicle goes on sale is they put a price on it for the year. Uh, it's an important thing because that MSRP typically doesn't change during the year. So I think that's kind of what's going on is we still have the supply chain issues and uh, they're kind of fouling up a lot of things. And, and for some vehicles, we might not have 2023 models at all. 
Yeah, we're seeing years-long leads time on some of these vehicles. Like the GMC Hummer is sold out for the next two years, and these vehicles, you know, they take years to develop and to produce. So uh, it's understandable that things are going to be a little bumpy for a little while, I guess. Yeah, and it, it doesn't seem to be going away as quickly as a lot of us thought it would. And I think this is going to continue well into next year. And uh, I think then it'll level out. And at some at some point, I think in 2023, uh, supply will catch up with demand. And uh, then we'll kind of revert to the way the market uh, more used to be and see some incentives and see uh, maybe a little friendlier buying posture at that point. Let's hope so. I'll be ready to buy a new car by then. Right. Well, I think that is our show for this week. Chris, thanks so much for so ably co-hosting and uh, telling us all about the uh, cool vehicle that you talked to us about in this episode. Thank you, Jack. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'll say if you like what you heard and you want to listen more, head to the sportsmapradio.com website. You can find us there on the Saturday morning schedule. Uh, you can find our, our podcast on all the major platforms as well as a formatted radio version of the show. Right. Our thanks to the SportsMap Radio Network stations for carrying America on the road. If you're interested in uh, my book, Dance in the Dark, a crime thriller, uh, look for that on Amazon. That is available right now, and uh, I'm pretty proud of it. It's kind of cool. There's some kind of cool car stuff in it, actually. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at DrivingToday.com slash auto insurance. That's DrivingToday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. And uh, join us again next week for another edition of America on the Road.